Welcome to the Total Freedom Podcast, where you can build your total freedom lifestyle and live your life doing what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. And now, here is your host, John Racy. Welcome to this episode of the Total Freedom Podcast. I'm excited about today's guest. He has an intense passion for optimizing his vitality through optimal movement, nutrition, and sleep. He also has the same desire to optimize his mind through learning, business, modern philosophy, and ancient intelligence. He relishes the chance to enrich others' lives with these principles and watching them foster a passion for them too. It's my pleasure to welcome Lee Chambers. Lee, welcome. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on today. Uh, It's my pleasure to have you on. So how are you doing in this time of corona and uh, self-quarantining? I mean, it's challenging. I'm learning a whole host of new skills, including homeschooling my children and going fully digital. I was previously hybrid, so part physical, part digital, and now I've adapted some systems. Uh, But in many ways, it's a challenging time for so many people across the world. It's a real shared human experience. And in so many ways, challenge brings opportunity and challenge brings innovation and creativity. And so many people have pivoted things and found ways to make it happen. Uh, We're actually, as a species, quite good in a crisis. And I imagine that your background experience and everything is kind of very well positioned for what we're going through right now, the the quarantining and and having to do things remotely. I almost get the impression that you're built for this. Um, I definitely kind of feel that the resilience that I've built through my journey and some of the elements of uh, having immune system issues previously. So having that, you know, that attitude of being more distanced and slightly isolated at times. I mean, you can be as prepared as you can be, but really it's, uh, it's a chance for people to connect with the things they've been taking advantage of. And we live in quite, uh, many of us in the Western world live in a world where we pretty much choose what we want and make decisions all the time. And all of a sudden, all these rest- made us incredibly grateful for what we suddenly can't get to. Absolutely. So tell us who Lee is and how he got to where he is today. Oh boy, what a journey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, to try and dilute it down and not not talk too much. Um, I had a relatively stable childhood. My parents were very, very hardworking to make sure that our basic needs were met. I'm one of three brothers, so I'm the oldest uh, and childhood was childhood was enjoyable. We got a lot of freedom, and we grew up. And I was quite—I did quite well at school. And my parents really wanted me to go to university because I'd be the first one in my extended family to do so. And I managed to get there, and then started to try and find my way and understand who my who might have become as a man and as an adult. And I struggled a little bit with that transition of you know, moving through and having the emotional intelligence to understand who I authentically was. And those kind of tools that you don't really get taught at school and education. And if your parents don't instill them in you, you find it a bit difficult to uh, to alchemize and understand how you grow yourself and how you find yourself. So I did have some mental health challenges around that and struggled a bit during the middle of my time at university. But I managed to overcome that and start to, you know, find myself through the process of education and becoming a bit more self-aware. Uh, and then I graduated and I was like, okay, so what, what do I actually want to do? I really like helping people. I'm really good with figures and numbers. I've done international business psychology at university. 
allowed me to do a whole breadth of different subjects from psychology and business to comparative politics, languages, communication. So I had, I had a variety of skills. I just thought well, I need to try and distill what I'd like to do. So I went into financial advisory thinking that I could bolster people's financial well-being and make sure that their stats and their numbers were right for them. This was in 2007 when I graduated. <laughs> so naturally, Good six timing. months later, <laughs> all the people above me started to gradually pack the boxes and go. And then I was pulled into the office and told, you professional financial advisory qualifications, we can't fund them anymore. We don't have the money. And then a week after, I got pulled in and told, sorry, we're making you redundant. So I was like, okay, this path I thought I'd define for myself, um, maybe it's not for me. But I actually, after the initial uh, disappointment, thought to myself, well, actually, this is an opportunity for me to take hold of my own career and hold of my own professional development. And if I'm accountable to myself, then that'll never be taken away again. So that started me on the path. I went working in local government, which is nice and relaxed over here in the UK. Uh, and that allowed me to set up a video game business alongside that. And I still had the time and the capacity and now the finances and the flexibility with the business to start doing professional qualifications. So I did a human performance nutrition qualification. I did a strength and conditioning qualification. And then I moved through and started doing soccer coaching badges and it was just another skill to add to my ball, but also more physiological understanding of how I was myself and my own body. And that's always been something that started to interest me as I started to grow into myself. And that then led me down the path to switch from local government, start working with unemployed people, helping them build the confidence and the skills, helping them navigate interviews and helping them start to understand what job they wanted to do and what industry they'd like to work in. So helping them get some direction and some purpose. And that really started to make me feel fulfilled inside and give me an understanding that helping people, it, it's great when you, you, know, you help them become more of themselves and help them get, help empower them to be more and help them get what's inside out so they control the world, who they are. And then after six months of that, like, in such a crazy career portfolio, I then went working in elite sport. So I spent six months at a sports performance agency working with athletes and sports people on the psychology elements and the nutrition elements and combining them together. And that was, a, again, an experience where I saw the cutting edge of science, the cutting edge of sport, where millions of pounds and dollars are spent for small, tiny performance improvements on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but also that made me think that all that money and all that energy could be spent on normal people and it helped millions of people to get better health outcomes and be happier in life. So it gave me that kind of two-sided worldview. Uh, and then all that came to a head when I suddenly lost the ability to walk through illness. And that started me off on a whole new tangent, a whole new journey. Wow. So you had this really broad based background with financial, with psychology, with, you know, helping people. And then all of a sudden you had to start helping yourself. Indeed. And it was a, it was a challenging time. So I just turned 29. Uh, my son was 18 months old and my wife was six months pregnant. And all of a sudden my wrist locked in place. So as many people would naturally think, maybe I've typed a bit too much this week. Um, 
So I'll just see how it is over the weekend. And then if it's still bad on Monday, I'll go to the doctors. Uh, but on Sunday, after going out for a meal with my family, uh, I got back home to find that my knee then had locked in place as well. So that was like, okay, so this is quite serious. I had a bit of a moment where I was like, okay, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to go to the doctors on Monday and see what the issue is. So I went to the doctors. They gave me some corticosteroids to try and take the swelling down. He said, mm, doesn't look great, but just give it a day. Just see what happens. Uh, on Tuesday, my shoulder then locked in place and rose up towards my ear. So it was like, I was, I was looking in quite a bad way at this point. I was still like a young man, like, I mean, I'm fairly indestructible. These tablets should, this should work. I should be fine. Woke up on Sunday morning and my other knee was locked in place. And that was it then. Um, my mother-in-law came around and took me to hospital, went through through to emergency. And then it was the consultant saw me and took me straight through. <laughs> so I knew it was bad at that point. And that then led me on a, on a real like crux of my journey where I was in hospital for a month. I was in a lot of pain. They did a lot of testing and drain fluid off lots of numerous parts of my joints to be tested and to bring the swelling down. And I, initially, I was very much like, why me? I'm 29. I'm fairly fit. This is like a chronic disease that I know I'm going to have for the rest of my life. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like very much justice that I've got this. But suddenly, when you stop and get time to reflect, and I started to realize I've been really ungrateful for my mobility and really ungrateful for the people that were now helping me shower myself and feed myself. But more importantly, I'd been ungrateful for all the opportunities that I'd had, the jobs that I'd had to work in, the free education, the free healthcare, all the things that I had that so many people in the world don't have. Why should I lie here and complain about my lot? Because I've had so much and I've been able to take so much because I've been offered so many opportunities. So I need to take this disease and say, just like I did with the professional qualifications, my business and my career and my own mental health previously, this is, this is my disease. I'm going to attack it as much as it's attacking me and I'm going to get the best health outcome I can and I'll have to control this for the rest of my life. But if I sit here in the wheelchair and take my medication and say, oh, magic's going to happen, I'll be okay, well, nothing will happen because intention is everything. And it's all about that kind of proactive mindset. So I decided I was going to put everything in. My daughter was born not long after I was discharged from hospital. And then I was in physio and rehab. And I was literally like, by the time my daughter's walking, I'm going to be walking. And that power of why and the willpower behind that, it got me up every morning when I was in pain. I was stiff. I was struggling. I didn't want to mentally do those exercises, but it it became, it didn't, doesn't matter how you feel and what you want. It's the identity that you want to be. And you put the identity first instead of the feelings. So I wanted to be up on my feet and walking again. And I pushed and had that mindset of being proactive and being consistent with things. And after six months, I, I was back up on my feet. I started to have some problems with my lower back because my walking wasn't correct. My gait was out of line. Uh, that started to go. Uh, squashed my vertebrae together in my lower lumbar spine. Uh, so I had to go back to physio and get that sorted and get walking back properly. But after 11 months, I walked a mile unaided. And that was like a moment, that was a breakthrough moment for me. Uh, and my daughter started walking like a week after. So in so many ways, it was a powerful, but I got there and then that ignited the journey to 
send me on the pathway to set up what I've set up today. That is an absolutely amazing story. And I kind of had my own similar journey. I was diagnosed at the age of 10 on Halloween morning as a type 1 diabetic. And I kind of went through the same thing you did. You know, why me? What did I do? And as a 10-year-old, I couldn't comprehend or wrap my head around it. And truthfully, it took well into my adult years before I finally reconciled that and realized that it actually is a gift in a lot of ways. But it took me years where you compressed that into a ridiculously short amount of time between your wife being six months pregnant and your discharge. I think you figured that all out and it took me a whole lot longer. Yeah, and, and I think that that kind of my previous experience of having to bounce back helps me shape that mindset before it hit me, which means I'm in some ways I'm grateful for the failures and challenges that I went through. And I understand that if that had have happened to me younger, before I'd have had that experience, I'd have struggled considerably to to get to that stage. And that's why it's so important to fail, make mistakes in life. So you can build yourself back up so that when you face something bigger in your future, you've got those tools and that knowledge and those skills of how to, you know, look at things from a different point of view. And obviously for yourself, when you were 10, you've got so little life experience to understand and navigate that. But now as an adult, you've, you've, you've managed to do that. And it's become in some ways, like it is for many people, something that defines us, but not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Absolutely. And it reminds me, I'm a student of marketing. I absolutely love marketing. And it always says there's never a failure. It's always a lesson. You're always learning something. And, you know, from that age of 10 for me, I've learned a whole lot. Uh, And then I got whacked again, gosh, two years ago with celiac diagnosis where I can't eat wheat and gluten. So I was able to get through that one a whole heck of a lot faster because I had reconciled the the first piece because of the lesson that I had learned. So it, it all comes full circle for me. Oh, definitely. And the kind of way I frame it is if you look at an oyster, it takes a parasite to go inside and attack it to create a pearl. Otherwise, there'll be no pearl. So you need to look at that failure, something attack you. That challenge brings the, it brings the treasure, brings the gold. And that throughout your life is, is how, how it needs to be. Because if you're always in your comfort zone, nothing ever happens. And then as soon as you're pushed out, it's just too much. <laughs> yeah, the magic happens outside the comfort zone for sure. There's no doubt. So has that shaped where you are in business now? Did your business move in this direction because of that experience or was it something different? Uh, so no, it's very much a case of that experience combined with my experience of different industries and in different roles and the qualifications that I've done really came together for me to think, okay, so I've been through this and now I'm on a mission to try and beat it. How can I take other people on that journey with me? How can I help empower other people to do something similar to me? So as as I started to kind of combine that process in my mind, I realized that I needed more understanding of the physiological side still a bit more on the psychological side. So I went and did extra qualifications in sleep and in environmental psychology to get an idea of how things integrate all together because our body and mind are so connected. It's very difficult to look at one thing in isolation and not for it not to affect other things. So the kind of way I say it is that you'll, get, you'll take a drug for one symptom, but it'll give you 10 side effects because we're so interconnected. 
So I look to bring a coaching and a workplace wellbeing approach that looks across the board and looks to implement small, actionable changes in a number of areas that compound together. So after getting my extra qualifications, I looked how I was going to bring this to both individuals and both to businesses. And that kind of set me on a path to set up both essentialize the coaching side and essentialize the organizational side. And that's what I do today is both a mix of helping empower individuals to look at where the direction is, what are the goals that they have, why they have the goals and what why is going to drive them up their personal journey, up their mountain, and then help them with the nutrition and the sleep and the movement mindset and habits so that they become consistent and able to have the energy to move up that mountain and then do a bit of work with them on the beliefs that are holding them back and help them really plan and support them as they get to the first base camp and have a look at about are they still on the right path, do a few course corrections along the way and just help them really to, because we all have inside of us the answers, we have the questions that we need to ask and education really teaches you to find the answers. And that's great, but life isn't really about finding answers. It's about asking powerful questions and listening to yourself. And those are skills that you don't really learn unless you go out there and start to learn them. And all the answers are inside us, but we struggle to listen. And we've we've lost that acuity as we live so busy and we don't listen to our bodies and we don't listen to our minds, except when they say negative things about us and then we get then we take it on board. But we've got the negative bias because that's what's kept us evolutionarily alive. We yeah. were too positive. We got eaten. So. <laughs> you know, you said, so, so many, yeah. you said so many things there that resonate for me. And one of the things that you just said, uh, I've said for you, you know, you talked about questions and I firmly believe that the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our questions that we ask. So instead of saying why, I challenge everybody to say how. So how can I use this to do something different? And I think you've just kind of encapsulated that with the end part of your story there. Yeah. And it's, the thing is, we, ha- we all have experiences, we all have failures, we all have mistakes, and we all have triumphs. And it's about looking back and seeing what thread is knitted between all the things that we do, our experiences, the friends that we have, the things we enjoy, our hobbies, our families, the, the ways we communicate. And there's always you know, an underlying thread underneath all those. And then it's about leverage, leveraging that thread and thinking, how can I bring this to the world? to make the world a better place and find a way to monetize it because otherwise it's just a hobby. But that ultimate goal that we have is really our purpose is to move towards our potential to be happy and then to use that potential of ours to help other people find the potential. And in so many ways, you kind of think like, what do you want people to say about you? You know, when you pass, what do you want your family to say about you, your friends? Even the guy down the street who didn't really know you. It's not, people are not going to want to be like at the funeral, like he had 10,000 followers or he made a hundred million dollars. <laughs> That's not what people, is, is that what you want your legacy to be? For a, for a very few people in the world, they might be fulfilled by that. But for most of us, it will be, he was a good, he was a good person. He made a difference. He gave his gifts to the world. He was happy, he treated us with care. You know, he was here for us. And really, you, you want to be on your deathbed and not regretting the things that you didn't do and regretting the fact that you just always saw your failures and attached emotion to them. So you never went back in 
and looked at them clearly with a you know experimental set of eyes and thought, okay, so I failed here, but why? Okay, so this is probably why I failed. This is something that I could have taken and it went well. And this is something I, I won't take forward to the future. And it's you can learn a lesson, but in every failure, there's actually something really useful. Because failures are data. Our life is just data. And if we put on that experimental lab coat and imagine we were in that science lab at school, doing experiments, burning chemicals, never went right the first time, but then you knew what to not do again, <laughs> what might work, and you got ever more experimental until you burned the place down. <laughs> yep. And then, yeah, and then you might have been in a bit of trouble and then you knew definitely not to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we treat life like a big experiment, because it's so important because we're all bio-individual, We've all got our own genetic expression, our own epigenetic, you know, markers that go up and down depending on how we live. We've got our own microbiome, our own gut enzyme makeup, our own sleep chronotype. In so many ways, you have to experiment to find what works for you. And that's a big thesis on my work is that what works psychologically or physiologically for one person, the meal plan, the sleep now, the this is how you should feel right now. This is how you should connect to other people. It's completely individual to each person. And if you start experimenting, you'll find what works for you. And that's what I've done with my disease. So I spent two years taking stuff in and out of my diet, excluding stuff and putting it back in and recording how I felt. Got three journals that have rec records of that. And I don't expect my clients to do that because that, it's quite, it was quite time consuming. But for me, it was a case of I wanted to come off medication and that's the level I was willing to go to. So I was tracking my sleep. I was changing that. I was changing my sleep environment, changing the times, changing the duration, finding exactly what worked and working with my movement to find what was too little, what was too much and finding those optimums. And now, as of next month, I'll be off my medication with the help of my consultant just through optimizing lifestyle. And that's another massive part of my journey. And I feel that if I, can, if I can do that and control a chronic disease that was attacking my body just through optimizing my lifestyle, then what can someone who's fully well do if they do that? And, you know, the potential is unknowable. It's endless. But we've become so accustomed to not listening to our body and not trying to push those boundaries unless it's our job. And that's why I experience working in elite sport. When it becomes your job, it feels like a big sacrifice. But if you want to be at that top level, then everyone else has honed the body and the mind to there. And then it's really just a case of whose mind is stronger on the day. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick minute to thank you for listening to the Total Freedom Podcast. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about resiliency, overcoming challenges, and achieving greatness in your life. And I wanted to invite you to discover the Resolve System, my own unique take on how to overcome virtually any challenge in your life. I've outlined the seven steps of the Resolve formula that will take you through just about any challenge you could have in life or business. So head over to totalfreedompodcast.com forward slash resolve and check out the video. Thanks so much. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of brings up something that I wanted to dig into because you talked a little bit about it uh, just a bit ago, and then you've kind of alluded a little bit to it here as you've talked about your own journey. I am of the belief that the mindset is incredibly powerful and one of the least talked about but most effective 
things, when I talk to people about money, business, health, relationships, whatever it is, I find so often that there's a subconscious mindset thread that's holding people back. Do you find that in yourself that the mindset drove more of it? And do you find that in your clients that the mindset, when you get that right, makes everything a little bit easier? I'm curious. Oh, it, it, it's, it's absolutely vital. So that's why I put together my program where we look at the physiology of the sleep, the movement, and the nutrition. And then we do a little bit on career and finance, but that is, that is interwoven with mindset and habits. So the ability to become consistent with, say, a different style of eating or, or to take sleeping seriously, it actually requires a mindset shift for most people. Most people don't take sleep seriously because it's just something that we do, like breathing. Don't really think about it. But when you start to have that shift towards understanding how it's vital for health and performance, you'll you'll suddenly become very consistent. And it's about having the mindset, but also starting to implement the small habits that start to build that consistency and build your identity in that direction. Because for so many people, their mindset is based on what they've consumed over a childhood. They kind of carry the mindset on the back in a little backpack. And anytime something comes in that doesn't really align with that, they quite often just deflect it back off because it's not who I am. It's not the beliefs I've got on my back. It's not mine mindset. And because again, I'm sure you kind of understand that for a lot of people, the whole principle of compound interest, it just seems quite obscure. It's like, okay, so I could spend it now and get instant gratification, or I could save it and it'll get a little, it'll get a little, it'll get a few cents more in a few weeks. They struggle to see that in a few years, suddenly that's a lot more than a few cents. And it's a lot more than you just spent. <laughs> yeah. And but they struggle to see how spending a thousand dollars on a mattress, that seems like a big purchase. But spending thirty thousand dollars on a car. Well, that seems not too bad, but they spend an hour a day in the car and eight hours a night on a mattress. You compound that out over the five years of the mattress. And then you compound the fact that a good mattress benefits your physiology. It benefits your back, your neck. And sleeping well on it makes you feel happier, less likely to have accidents, less likely to have conflicts. And it's compounding health benefit positively but it's very difficult for people to catalyze that unless they've got that mindset. Yeah. And it's just sometimes it, sometimes you go in and you, you understand that resistance from people and they're not, and you have to show people differently because people understand and interpret data differently. Some people are really good with statistics. Some people are really good with visual. Some people almost need you to walk them through it yeah. by telling you how it feels and how it smells. And we're all different learners and it's just understanding that, you know, we, we are so different. We learn in different ways. We have different mindsets from our childhood. We apply habits differently. And when you when you have an acuity to that, you can help people find their way to empower themselves. And when they know how they work and tick, it's like you've unlocked a key that helps them improve themselves every day. And they don't feel like it's hard work doing it because they're not fighting against a mindset that's against that or against habits that are, you know, that are t- pulling them back or stopping them from going in the direction they want to go. Interesting. You know, it's funny you were talking about sleep in the bed and you were talking about a thousand dollar mattress. And I was thinking the bed that I have is, and don't laugh, but I'll, I'll explain the whole thing. The bed that mm-hmm. I have is over 15 years old, but 
it is, um, and I paid about three thousand dollars, three thousand yeah. U.S. dollars for it. But it is one that is a um, an air chamber with Tempur Pedic, yeah. and it inclines. And I've replaced all of the external mattress stuff. So even though I spent the three thousand fifteen years ago, I spent maybe four hundred, you know, a few years back to upgrade it. But my sleep is sound, and and it's. I hadn't even connected that until you said it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When you invest in something where you spend a third of your life or you should spend a third of your life, that it really does align so much else. Oh yeah. And and I mean, it's that kind of thing that people will quite often buy the $300 mattress and it doesn't last. It's initially, it initially works, but it degrades so much quicker than if you buy something that's quality initially and then look to maintain that. And again, sleep is so important. And the work I do within organizations is about not only sleep environments, but also workplace environments. So how we can make workplace environments regenerative to our well-being. So we go into work happy and we leave work happy, then spreading that happiness to our families, to the people that we meet on the road, in the street, in the supermarket. And that's kind of my mission is to make the world a happier place through changing organizational cultures and helping people empower themselves. So we actually, if you take sleep and workplace, we spend 100 hours between the two of our week, which is two-thirds of our life are spent in these two environments. And yet we quite often spend so much time designing our living room that we don't spend that much time in and we don't put the effort into our bedroom and organizations aren't really that bothered about the office as long as no one's getting hurt but we have an attachment and identity to where we work. And that is vital to try and help companies understand that that plays a big part in how productive we are, how our well-being is. And if our well-being is bolstered, then we become more creative, more engaged in our work, we find it easier to pay attention and focus and actually make less mistakes. And we're just happier and happier employees are you know, that's exactly what you want in your company. Everyone in the, going in the same direction, big smiles on the faces, engaged, empowered, and doing what they're doing to, you know, make a difference. And again, if a company's leadership is aligned with that and they're conscious and they're actually saying, we, we support you, but we actually stand for something. These are our company's values. And this is what we want to achieve. The company is a vehicle to, you know, make the world better. And to take all our all our stakeholders, not just our investors, but society, you as employees, our customers, our partners and collaborators, and go out there and actually become something more. And sometimes it does take me going in on a, like a performance and well-being improvement and nudging company culture from inside a little bit once I've made a tangible difference. But that's kind of like how I see in my philosophy is that if we're going to run businesses. We need to run them consciously because as we move into a world where if you look at the 200 most uh, financially rich entities, over 150 of them are companies. So it's not nations who are going to change the world for the better and make things more sustainable and regenerative and come up with the solutions. It's going to be companies going forward because that's only extrapolating further. Absolutely. Could you maybe tell us about an organization that you work with? And if you need to keep the names confidential, that's fine. But kind of talk about, because I think we've probably got some employees who may be listening to the podcast that may have an interest in making a better workplace culture. So maybe talk about a company that you worked with, maybe some of the challenges they had and how you work with them to improve it. 
Yeah, because it's interesting because in the in the different companies that I've go in, everywhere's starting from a different point. But what where my kind of specialism lies is I'm going into small to medium-sized enterprises where they're not already engaging in certain elements of corporate social responsibility. So I feel that these the, this size of company, especially in the UK, is really in a prime place to make a significant cultural shift and actually disrupt an industry and really make a change. So I'll go into a company and I'll give an example of a packaging company that I work for. And if you can imagine, it was numerous levels, small management, small management team, smaller leadership team, and then numerous employees in different functions, marketing, finance, and then a significant amount of like packing operatives who did the warehouse and production stuff. So they had really poor retention. They were losing staff, the best staff as well they were losing. And they came to me and said, you know, we want to look at implementing something that will keep our staff happier and more well in the workplace. You know, can you come and work with us? What can you do? So I came in and I immediately saw the the connection and communication wasn't there. So this is a company where it's small enough for the director to go down onto the floor and make a connection with the workers and actually show interest. And there was none of that. It was incredibly siloed. We're only talking 60 employees. So we're not talking a massive corporate company where they're based in different countries and there's headquarters and many, many different areas. They're all based pretty much on the same estate. So it's it started really with taking them in and looking who wants to participate in building a well-being strategy that's internal, that's measurable, that we're going to embed. So we're going to look at the processes, how we can how we can engage the employees. Because the first thing is to help help bring them in because they didn't trust that they would have any say because they'd not been given. The management team just told them what to do. The management team's communication was all based on it's your fault because this is wrong. This quality isn't right. We had to go in and work with the management team on how to communicate and how to give the workers autonomy and how to actually not go and fix situations, but to ask the employees, to ask them powerful questions. How could you work to make sure that that's correct? Do you need me? And it's difficult because a few of the managers, they love being the hero of the day going saving it when things went wrong. And it was about gradually helping them understand that if you do that, it makes more work for you. And it also means that the employees, they don't, they don't want to engage. And then those disengaged employees leave and you need to try and train someone else all over again. So it's, it's about knitting it through. It's about having that communication, that clarity of the values of what the company stood for. I took a group of 10 of the operatives and asked them, what does this company stand for? What are you working for? And the they came up with all different answers and none of them were about the company making a difference. One guy literally said, I make cups. And I was like, what do you make cups for? And he's like, I don't really know. Drinks? I'm not even sure where these go. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even know where the work, quite often they didn't even know where what they were producing went. And even the smallest thing like that to know that you're producing something that was going into hospitals because that this they were a big supplier of the NHS and those products were helping people who were sick like me not that long ago 
And that little thing would have actually made them probably sit there and think, I'm actually doing something that makes a difference here. That With that not being communicated, with them not being cared for, they just ended up leaving because they were disenchanted. It was a toxic atmosphere. So it took six months to turn it around. I did health assessments. I did environmental assessments. I did numerous courses and bringing mental health awareness, physical health awareness with the management team, helping them understand. We did communication training and then did some work with the leadership to get them all aligned and on board. They decided upon values that were clear and they let employees come in and participate. We gradually got the employees to start, they started to trust and believe the credibility of the management team by actually getting to know them. So we encouraged open forum and communication where it was not about the business, but actually about who they were. Because these little conversations about, you know, how are you doing? How you, how's your family? They weren't present. People were just coming and leaving and switching themselves off emotionally at work. So by the time I left, they had it, they, they were losing 40% of the production employees every year. And by the time I left, and obviously I've stayed in contact with them, but now that's less than 5%. And that's a massive, but the thing is they've grown and the production capacity has increased. Through COVID, they've actually thrived now because they've had a culture of sustainability, of clear leadership, of values and collaborating together. And that director now goes and talks to people on the floor. I think that's the biggest shift. He's not sat in his office. He's out and about actually speaking to people. And he's now got to the point where he knows his staff. He's asking them how the wives are. It's such, a, it's such a shift. But that's what people want because employees just want the leader to be a person who they feel is credible, who they feel they can trust, and who they feel just wants the best for them. Yep. And it's suddenly created a company that's almost like a family. My professional background is in human resources. So you're speaking to the mission that I would get out. Every company I ever worked for was about the communication and the humanization. And, and you just spoke. I, I needed you in my pocket as I was doing <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, that's, that's an incredible example. And, and especially during the time that we're in right now, where they're now thriving, that's, that's a uh, very impressive example of what you've done. We're coming up on the end of our time, and I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to ask you, is there a question that maybe I should have asked you that I didn't think or didn't know to ask you about you or what you do or what you believe in? Um, I think in many ways, it's, uh, we've covered it, but it's just interesting to speak to someone such as yourself, John, and you've got a similar mindset to me. You kind of see those challenges and you've navigated the corporate landscape yourself. and. Yeah, it's just interesting to, again, speak to people who, who understand that and see the challenges. And I think a big thing is human resources is gradually moving towards people because it's not resources that run a business, it's people. Yeah. Those people are going to go onto the balance sheet and become an asset because every person in your business is an asset. And their physical health and mental health is their biggest asset they've got. And without it, it's like you your business is a vehicle for something bigger. You don't want people who have got poor health in your wagon 
when you're driving. So it's, it's about keeping everyone well because it's actually going to have financial implications going forward. And if you develop your people, you embed that trust, that understanding, and you help them feel valued, appreciated, part of the company. You almost in some ways have to lead and show them that you are congruent with what you say so they believe you're credible, but also understand that they have so much ability and potential themselves, no matter what position they have. And they can bring that forth if you ask the right questions, believe in them, and communicate in a clear and concise way. And they will become innovative. They will start to bring ideas. They will give constructive feedback. And that's what shapes businesses of the future. They become resilient themselves because everyone believes on the believes of the journey. They're not afraid to bring their idea forward. And it's those new ideas. Sometimes they come from the top. Sometimes they come from the bottom. Sometimes they come from someone who's just come on board. And if you onboard people properly into that culture, then they feel like they want to stay. And they actually talk to people in the industry and say, this is a great place to work. Where do you work? There. Yeah. What's it like for you? Oh, it's awful best way to get the best industry's talent in your business. Yep, absolutely. I think I, I heard, first heard the quote attributed to Sir Richard Branson, and it basically is the customer is not the most important. The employee or the team is most important. And when I first heard that, it was a number of years ago, and I believe it was him where I first credited it from, it made a whole lot of sense because I was in my human resources day to day, and they're the ones that are taking care of the customer's so I think that you kind of nailed that coffin for me on that absolute belief. Definitely, John. You got to think about it. The, the, face, the people are the face of your business. So you want them to be well. You want them to be radiant, resonant, full of energy and be in the face of your business that you wish them to be. Absolutely. How can people reach out and connect with you? I'm sure they may want to circle in your universe and learn more about what you're doing. You've got some amazing stuff. So how can the listeners find out about you and connect with you? Yeah, the best way is to come to my website, which is leechambers.org. Now you'll find my blog and all my social handles and more about my services. Excellent. We'll make sure that that uh, is put in the show notes as well so everybody can find that as well. Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing been a privilege, John. Thank you. My pleasure. That's another episode of the Total Freedom Podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Total Freedom Podcast. For the show notes, head over to totalfreedompodcast.com forward slash episode 14. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, I just wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Total Freedom Podcast. We want to continue to bring amazing content to help you overcome the challenges in your life, become more resilient, achieve the life of your dreams. So we're going to ask you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. That helps us to get ranked higher in the podcast chart so that we can share this message with more people. So again, subscribe, rate, and review. Whether it's good, bad, whatever feedback, we'll use that to help make this podcast better. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Total Freedom with John Racine at www.totalfreedompodcast.com.